Uh, do you ever question, is it really worth it? All the time and the money and the energy that you put in to uh, this church's ministry. I mean, it doesn't seem very impressive, does it? Do you ever find yourself asking if it's really worth making time for the Bible? Whether it's reading the Bible on your own or in your DNA group, uh, whether it's trying to get together uh, your kids for a family Bible time or um, you're preparing to, to teach the few kids in kids' church. Is it worth it? Is it worth making time to read through the gospel with a, uh, a non-Christian friend? Uh, is part of the reason you didn't invite anyone to the invitation Sundays because you're not sure the gospel is really what they need to hear? Uh, in my year at high school, there was a boy called David Montenegro. And um, uh, we weren't great friends, but um, we spent a year in the Air Cadets together. And um, a few years ago, in the school magazine, there was an article about what graduates were doing. And um, they had a piece on Monty. And uh, he'd uh, graduated and joined the Royal Air Force and had become a member of the Red Arrows, the, the RAF's aerobatics display team. And last year, he was appointed the commanding officer of the Red Arrows, Wing Commander David Montenegro. I googled him this morning. There are a bunch of photos and videos, him meeting Prince William and you know, all his amazing aerobatics up in the... That's very impressive, isn't it? And uh, you know, I, I kind of think about what I'm doing with my life, and I feel a pang of shame. You know, here I am, working part-time, for a small church in a quiet city in Adelaide with a bad back. Um, the passage we're looking at this morning has been really helpful for me because it contains the antidote to discouragement in Christian ministry. Uh, we're in this section of 2 Corinthians in which Paul is partly defending himself. He's responding to challenges from some people in Corinth. If you've got your Bibles open, look back at 3 verse 1. He talks there about some people. It's kind of passing reference to these other leaders who'd come into the church and were um, uh, being influential. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? It seems that some new leaders had come in, and they were very impressive. They had all the right credentials. And they were discrediting Paul and his ministry and causing the Corinthians to question whether Paul was the real deal. Was it worth them sticking with Paul or should they go with these other guys? So Paul's responding to, to that. And by doing so, these chapters, chapters 2 to 5, contain one of the clearest and the most encouraging descriptions of Christian ministry. In the passage this morning, Paul's explaining how he remains confident and encouraged in his ministry. You see that in verse 12, 3 verse 12, he says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He's not ashamed in his ministry, he's bold. You see the same thing in 4 verse 1. Uh, having described his ministry in 7 to 18, he says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We're not discouraged. So I want to draw out uh, three things from this passage about authentic gospel ministry. Three truths 
that will re-energize us to keep going, serving Christ wholeheartedly and unashamedly. Three things. Through the gospel, people are justified. Through the gospel, people see God's glory. And through the gospel, people are transformed. Through the gospel, people are justified. Through the gospel, people see God's glory. Through the gospel, people are transformed. It's quite a, a complex passage, this one. But at the heart, Paul is making a contrast uh, between old covenant ministry carried out by Moses and new covenant ministry carried out by Paul and the Corinthians and us today. It's not a theological treatise on uh, the law and the gospel. Um, Paul's point is to explain why he's so unashamed, why he's so bold. And the answer is because new covenant ministry is mind-blowingly glorious. Gospel ministry, new covenant ministry, is mind-blowingly glorious. You know, he talks about Moses and the old covenant to say, that was good, that was glorious. I mean, if you remember in the book of Exodus, you know, Mount Sinai, and there was thunder and trumpet blast, and the whole mountain was shaking, and Moses' own face shone with the glory of God. I mean, that was impressive. That was glorious. And Paul is saying, new covenant ministry so far surpasses the glory of that. It's like comparing the brightness of the sun to a candle. You see that in verse 10. He says, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. What was glorious? Moses and Mount Sinai and the old covenant. It was glorious. But compared to the glory of the new covenant and the ministry that we have in the gospel, it's like nothing. Like the brightness of a sun compared to the flame of a candle. Now, we're not going to unpack all the details, but I want to draw out these three things. Firstly, through the gospel, people are justified. Look again at verse 9. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious... How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? See, the result of the old covenant is condemnation. The the law, the Ten Commandments that we're learning in the Catechism, it's good. It reveals God's character. It shows us how to live. But we don't live it, do we? we? We can't keep the law perfectly. And so the result of the old covenant on its own is condemnation. It just shows us our failures and the punishment that we deserve. That The law is good, but we're not. And so we're left condemned. But the new covenant brings righteousness. Through the gospel, people are justified, declared to be righteous, The gospel brings the life-changing news that where we have failed to live the life that the law requires, Jesus has succeeded. He's the one man in history who always obeyed, who never sinned, who was faithful to God at every step. Jesus lived the life that I should have lived. And then Jesus died the death that I deserve to die. When Jesus died on the cross, he took my place. He took my punishment. He paid the penalty that the law requires from me, 
for my failures. Jesus lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I deserve to die so that I can be forgiven and justified, righteous in God's sight. The old hymn, And Can It Be, says this, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. I wonder if you've grasped this truth of the gospel that, that it means we're not just forgiven. It's not just the, that the slate is wiped clean, but that we are given Jesus' righteousness. We're, we're, the word theologians use is imputed. His righteousness, all his moral perfection is imputed to us. It's like if you've got a bank account and you're in huge debt. It's not just that our debts are cancelled and we're back to zero, but that our account has been credited with millions, with Jesus' perfect moral righteousness. Now, that's all quite technical, but I hope you can see this concept of being justified is something that actually everyone is looking for. We're all desperately wanting to know that we're approved, that we're accepted, that someone whose opinion matters says we're okay. And we chase that approval through our image, through our achievements, through our relationships. But it's also insecure because even if I do win your good opinion, how do I know I'm going to keep it? When the gospel says a person is justified, it is saying that God has made known his final and eternal verdict on that person. It's the verdict of the final day brought into the present. And so it's secure and it's unchanging. It's not based on my performance, which goes up and down. It's based on the performance of Christ. And so it's secure. One of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire. And it's about two British athletes who uh, compete in the Paris Olympics in, I think, 1924. Um, both are chasing gold in the 100 meters. One of them's called Harold Abrahams. And he says, just before the final, I'll raise my eyes and I'll look down that corridor, four feet wide, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. It's a great quote. And he uses that word, justify. See, for him, it, it's all about his performance. It's through his performance on that day in that 10 seconds that's going to justify him. The other athlete is Eric Liddell, and he's a Christian, and he's so secure in his identity, his acceptance with God, that he can actually pass up his chance to win gold in the 100 meters because of his higher commitment to be faithful to Jesus. He can let the gold medal go because he knows he's already justified. He doesn't have to prove himself in a sprint. He's already got the approval of the one person who really matters. So why should we keep going in serving Christ, keep going in seeking to share the gospel? Because the gospel is glorious. Because in the gospel, this deep need that all people have is met. Through the gospel, people are justified. The verdict of the final day is declared righteous in God's sight. Secondly, through the gospel, people see God's glory. Look at the last verse of our passage, verse 18. Paul says, And we 
We all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. Contemplate, or other translations say, behold the Lord's glory. Uh, glory is a small word with a great significance. God's glory is all the majestic goodness of God, all his, all his godness, everything that makes God God. It's all his majestic, perfect character. When Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, his face became radiant. He kind of reflected something of God's glory. And the people, the Israelites, were scared even to look at the reflected glory of God in the face of Moses. And so Moses would put a veil over his face. It symbolizes the fact that sinful people cannot approach a holy God. Our sin cuts us off from God, prevents us from seeing his glory. But through the gospel, we're being told, the veil is taken away. The barrier of sin is dealt with. And the Spirit gives us the freedom to see God, to know God, to approach God without fear. We can look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus without fear of being destroyed because we know our sins have been dealt with. As that hymn again says, bold I approach the eternal throne. We can approach the holy God boldly because we know we're already justified. We have nothing to fear. We can come and enjoy fellowship with the God who made us. Let me read these verses to you again, verse 13 to 17. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. You know, even today, when the Old Testament is, is read without reference to Jesus, the veil remains. People don't really understand what it's about. They can't really see, uh, see God. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, freedom to see. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Paul says a similar thing in the, um, in the next chapter. If you look down to chapter 4, verse 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Through the gospel, through the work of the Spirit, that the veil is removed, the veil that covers people's hearts, and we're enabled to see God's glory in the face of Christ. Again, this might all sound a bit technical, but um, again, can you see, this is something everyone is looking for. We all desire beauty. We all crave glory. 
John Piper says in his great little book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, the created universe is all about glory. The deepest longing of the human heart, the deepest meaning of heaven and earth are summed up in this, the glory of God. The universe was made to show it and we were made to see it and savor it. Nothing less will do. He goes on, we were made to know and treasure the glory of God above all things. And when we trade that treasure for images, everything is disordered. I've quoted it many times before, but Augustine's great little quote seems appropriate here. He prayed, Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. All, all the kind of desires and cravings and search for satisfaction and meaning that we have, really it's a search for God. And we have to, we have to worship something. We've talked about this before, haven't we? And when we don't worship God, when we remove the, the sun from the center of the solar system of our lives, something else has to take it pla- its place. And so we replace God with other things, with created things, with other people. But none of them can satisfy. None of them can meet that deepest craving that we have and our world becomes disordered and out of balance. Only God can satisfy. There's, there's another quote that was given to me at my confirmation. It says, the whole world round is not enough to fill the heart's three corners, but it craveth still. Only the trinity that made it can suffice the vast triangled heart of man. Say so nothing in the world can fill our little hearts. Only the trinity that made it can. So can you see how glorious the gospel is? Because it's in the gospel that we get to see the glory of God. We get to meet and enjoy intimate fellowship with the God who made us, the Almighty, the Creator. Let me read another quote to you from a guy called Frederick Faber. Wherever we turn in the church of God, there is Jesus. He's the beginning, middle, and end of everything to us. There is nothing good, nothing holy, nothing beautiful, nothing joyous, which he is not to his servants. No one need be poor, because if he chooses, he can have Jesus for his own property and possession. No one need be downcast, for Jesus is the joy of heaven, and it's his joy to enter sorrowful hearts. We can exaggerate about many things, but we can never exaggerate our obligation to Jesus or the compassionate abundance of the love of Jesus to us. All our lives long we might talk of Jesus and we should never come to an end of the sweet things that might be said of him. Eternity will not be long enough to learn all he is or to praise him for all he's done, but then that matters not, for we shall always be with him and we desire nothing more. This is the greatest privilege of human existence. This is the source of highest joy, to know the God who made us, to see his glory, to behold his majesty, to revel in the beauty of Jesus revealed in the gospel. Why keep going in serving Christ? Why keep trying to share this gospel with others? Because it's utterly glorious and it meets again that deepest universal craving that people have. Thirdly, why should we keep going? Because through the gospel, people are transformed into the Lord's image. Through the gospel, people are transformed into the Lord's image. Again, verse 18. 
Paul says, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We've seen something of this already at the beginning of chapter 3 last week. Dave was talking about how Paul, in saying, do we need letters of recommendation? He said, you are our letter. The Corinthians, you know, the result of his ministry was, was them, people, and the, the change that God, God had brought about in their lives. The gospel changes people, brings them to new life, justifies them, but also brings about changing character. And that's what it's talking about in verse 18. This is the secret to, to true Christian holiness. This is the secret to how people really change. Can you see it? And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I mean, it's amazing what this is saying, that, that we can share in the image of the Lord Jesus and that we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory, from, from glory to glory, it says, literally into the image of the Lord. And how does that happen? It happens as we contemplate, as we behold the Lord's glory, as we gaze on the beauty of the Lord Jesus, so we are transformed into his likeness. It would be, um, it would be great, wouldn't it, if you could just look at someone else whose characteristics you desire and could become like them. Like if you wanted to be taller, so you just kind of look intently at a tall person and you just kind of grow up. Or you want a smaller nose or you know, brown eyes rather than blue or whatever. And you, you just, just by looking at some other person who has those characteristics, doesn't work, does it? But with Jesus it does. Somehow, by the Spirit, as we gaze on him, as we set our hearts on him, we are transformed more and more into his likeness. John Stott uh, talks about this transformation and says in kind of characteristically helpful way that th this idea of becoming more like Jesus, it's, it's the past and the present and the future of the Christian life. In, in the past, Romans 8.29 tells us, in the past we were predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. In the present, in this verse, we are being transformed into the same image with ever-increasing glory. And in the future, 1 John 3 tells us, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There it is again. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's as if when we get that final face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord Jesus, we'll be fully and finally transformed. We'll be like him. Beholding is the way to becoming. I called this sermon Change from Glory into Glory. That's a, a quote from uh, Love Divine or Love's Excelling. The, the final verse says this, changed from glory into glory 
Till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before him, lost in wonder, love, and praise. There's another old hymn. The chorus says this, Like Jesus, like Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. I love him so. I want to grow like Jesus day by day. I wonder, is that your prayer? Is that your, your heart? And I don't know, maybe you've drifted from the Lord. Maybe you know you're conscious of sin, con- conscious of ways that you've been kind of drifting and walking away from him. But is that your heart's desire? I love him so. I want to grow like Jesus day by day. That's what I really want. Well, how do we respond to all of this? I'm going to throw it open to, um, to all of us to think. Um, as I've said, I think that the key driver here, the key point Paul's making is he's explaining why he is unashamed and bold in his ministry because the ministry of the gospel, New Covenant ministry, is utterly, mind-blowingly glorious. Because in the gospel, through the gospel, people are justified, made right with God. People get to see God's glory. And people can be transformed into the image of Christ. And Christ is the perfect human being. We get to become the people we were always meant to be. More and more conformed to his image. Uh, What do you reckon? Uh, How should we respond? I reckon there's lots of ways. Um, But what do you think? I tell you what, take a minute, talk to your neighbor, and then come back with your ideas, okay?
Okay. What did you come up with? Anything? If you really believed, 2 Corinthians 3, how would it change your life? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. So if people heard that, pr- praying for the Spirit to do this. This is all, I mean, you, this, you could have uh, taken this passage and taught it as this is a description of the ministry of the Spirit. And, um, you know, just before this passage, Paul's been talking about how we're not competent in ourselves for any of this. It's not like we can justify people or remove the veil from their eyes. It's the Spirit who, who does this. We need to be relying on Him. So yeah, absolutely. Praying for the Spirit to, to do this work in us, praying for the Spirit to do this work in, in others, that He'd remove the veil from their eyes, enable them to see the glory of God in the face of Christ as we share the gospel. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, good. That's great. I always remember um, at a friend's wedding talking to this elderly saint, and uh, she had this quote. I'm sure she'd used it many times. Something like, uh, I'm the child of my Father in heaven, and every morning I meet with a king. And uh, it's a wonderful perspective to have that, that you know, as this passage is saying, we can have that face-to-face encounter with the living God, with the king of the universe. And um, how crazy that we, we would pass up that privilege uh, and, you know, replace it with checking our email or whatever else it is. Um, and, yeah, being transformed. Wow, yeah, 
gives our lives great purpose, doesn't it? Again, I remember talking to a friend on a skiing trip and then asking her what her life ambition was. And she said, uh, when I grow up, I want to um, be the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I said, I said yeah, that's, that's a good ambition to have. When I grow up, I want to be like Jesus. Um, yeah, and we will be transformed fully. We are being transformed. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what really struck me. I mean, just through the week, because it's quite a technical passage. But kind of even yesterday, just kind of actually, what he's talking about here. This is what everyone wants. I mean, deep down, what everyone's looking for, to be justified, to, to kind of be satisfied, and to be changed. I reckon that really kind of scratches where people are itching, if you can make the connections. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It doesn't look impressive. And that's really the big theme of the whole letter, isn't it? It's power in weakness. And in the next passage, Paul's going to talk about how we, we have this this treasure in jars of clay. We are so weak and unimpressive, but, but the message of the gospel that we carry is, is a treasure beyond our wildest dreams. And, and God set it up that way purposefully. We'll look at that next week. Let me pray. I'm going to pray a prayer from this, but I, I really recommend if you want to kind of um, something that's going to inspire you to gaze on the beauty of Jesus, then this little book by John Piper is designed to do that. It's called Seeing and Savoring uh, Jesus Christ. It's 13 short chapters you could use in your devotions or uh, nighttime reading, whatever. Let me uh, finish by praying his prayer. O Father of glory, this is the cry of our hearts to be changed from one degree of glory to another until in the resurrection at the last trumpet we're completely conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Until then, we long to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, especially the knowledge of his glory. We want to see it as clearly as we see the Son and to savor it as deeply as our most desired pleasure. O merciful God, incline our hearts to your word and the wonders of your glory. Wean us from our obsession with trivial things, Open the eyes of our hearts to see each day what the created universe is telling us about your glory. Enlighten our minds to see the glory of your Son in the gospel. We believe that you are the all-glorious one and that there is none like you. Help our unbelief. Forgive the wandering of our affections and the undue attention we give to lesser things. Have mercy on us for Christ's sake and fulfill in us your great design to display the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.